Hello and welcome back to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard's Weekly Transmissions Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason P. Woodbury. I'm quarantining here in the Sonoran Desert, and uh, our normal—I'm normally joined by uh, Justin Gage, but he is uh, on Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard right now. If you uh, are somehow a fan of this podcast, but you didn't realize that we've launched a 24-hour online pirate radio station um consider yourself informed you can listen by heading over to aquariumdrunkard.com for this episode of transmissions i caught up with guitarist and songwriter buck curran formerly one half of the psychedelic duo arborea buck is currently situated in bergamo italy one of the areas hit hardest by the covid19 outbreak though he's quarantining with his family he decided now is the right time to release his third solo album no love is sorrow It's a gorgeous and comforting record. Writing about it for Aquarium Drunkard, Tyler Wilcox said that the LP was full of melancholy but uplifting folk visions from Curran, whose label, Obsolete, has also released tributes to Jack Rose and Robbie Basho, as well as archival works by the latter. There are traces of both Basho and Rose in No Love Is Sorrow, Tyler wrote, but Buck has his own thing happening too managing to expertly balance ominous vibes with heartfelt devotionals. Those ominous vibes, uh, it's very easy to understand where those, uh, you know, where they're coming from these days, uh, as you'll hear in our conversation. We caught up to discuss his journey from Maine to Italy, how the new album came together, isolating with his family, and of course, the episodes of Star Trek that he's been watching. So how long, how long, we'll just dive in, man. How long have you actually been sort of locked down? Well, we started to um, kind of go in self-quarantine a little bit before the lockdown. Uh, We went on official lockdown about March 8th, uh, 8th or 9th, whatever the Monday was. But we were already getting uh, a lot of... uh, kind of confirmation about a lot of bad things uh kind of in the wind you know before sure. that so we started already like wondering i adele and i were talking about this because we had like a, a dinner with friends you know like a week before the lockdown and um, and we we're kind of like talking uh to ourselves like should we should we be doing this you know yeah and, and actually, our, our good friend, uh, Mario, who died, uh, was only a week after uh, when we went into quarantine. And then him and his friends, uh, he was an architect, uh, him and his friends had like a, a dinner. And I guess uh, most of them got sick from that dinner. And then uh, he was sick for about six days. And then he, at that point, he couldn't breathe anymore and they they had to rush him to the hospital and he was in the hospital for like two or three weeks before he died you know so well heavy stuff heavy stuff and then then our other good friend's father that was at that dinner we just got confirmation that um 
uh, he's he's okay. He's he's going to survive, uh, though with a lot of damage, you know, to uh, to his lungs and stuff. So, yeah. um, pretty serious stuff. Um, I have to imagine that having that sort of um, I'm sorry for your loss of your friend, but um, for for having that kind of like. Uh, up close and personal example of of how this could go had to inform the the tenor of what you were up to there and you're you're in uh bergamo is that how you say it uh bergamo Bergamo. yeah okay it's uh it's an old uh like venetian town uh it's 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 kind of similar to the uh being here is like because i lived in boulder colorado for a while uh, many years ago, and uh, it's kind of like being in the on the front range, you know, and like being like right, uh, almost like Boulder is. Yeah, I could say. Whereas uh, um, Denver would be like Milano. Okay. Because you you can see the, you know, from Milano you can see the Alps. Right. Uh, and we're like right at the foothills here, so, um. Anyways, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's not that's that's just one story because actually a lot of our friends, really good friends, their their uh, mothers and fathers or grandparents have, have passed away. So it's like affected everybody in this town. Really, it's 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 unbelievable, and uh, and it's still ongoing as well because. Uh, we haven't really gotten any kind of word onto you know as to when this this is going to be over. And I was looking at the Worldometer. Uh, I don't know if you know that. No, I, I haven't. Don't know if, I haven't tried that. They they you know they they do the they keep the ongoing stats. Like I think it even uh, charges up hourly. Uh, it tells you around the world what's going on. It's just something I, I keep uh, track of, you know, using that. And um, pretty much for the last 30 days, we've, or every day or every day and a half, we've lost between uh, 450 to 600 people every day. Yeah. You know, it, it hasn't, it hasn't went down. You know, so we're just uh, wondering where where does this uh, end? You know, God. So so how how has it how has has this whole thing changed your your daily life? What is what is your daily what is it? Sorry, let me rephrase. What is it? What does a day look like right now for you? Uh, trying to uh, you know, be as patient as possible and. Kind of uh, get in a flow of okay. We wake up, uh, you know. We have uh, well, we have uh, Adele and I have our our son Francesco, and he's uh, going to be three in June, and he's a handful. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, he's it's it's a joy to be with him, but still, he's he's very like, you know, he can pretty much take up all the space. All yeah. the empty space, if you know what I mean. Sure. <laughs> and uh, in it, it pretty much uh, goes all day, you know. But it, it's it's cool because, like, of course, we have a lot of music here, um, 
And Adele just set her loop station up and her uh, the PA up in the back room that we have here. And pretty much everything um, turns on by one switch, like an outlet. Um, and uh, Francesco can safely go and, and turn that on. Yeah. And he's, and he's learned how to loop himself. And so he's starting to make uh, music. He'll just pick up the mic and start. Um, and we have the we have this like mini Korg hooked into it, and uh, like a tamborello, a tambourine with a contact mic. And so it's like a mini recording station. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I just recorded him uh, the other day and. Uh, He's also like really loves, he loves electric guitar and he's always kind of grabbing me and saying, Hey, let's go, you know, daddy, come on, electric guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's been, you know, really positive in, in that regard. Uh, sometimes I, I just get, I feel really anxious sometimes myself, you know? Well, so I have to really have to kick myself down. Uh, yeah. Well, you play. I, I'm not. We're right. We're right in the center of the downtown of Bergamo. There's the old uh, historic Upper Town, which is beautiful. It's only like 20 minutes walk from here, but we're only one street over from the the train station, and uh, so we're like in the you know in the urban section of Bergamo and it's uh we don't really have any nature uh we have uh, some plants on our tiny little balcony that faces uh the backs of buildings so it's not very uh beautiful <laughs> per se not so, not not where you're not where you're actually stuck day to day yeah so and, and I'm really the kind of person that needs to be out outdoors you know yeah um so it's a very different experience for me i i've i've lived in uh maine for i lived in maine for uh, you know 15 years and uh nature's everywhere um so it's a, yeah it's a little bit difficult here i mean we have started thinking and we were already thinking about this before about uh trying to when things are are good enough to where we can move that um maybe we can um we've been talking with some other friends about maybe trying to find some places in tuscany which is about three and a half hours south of uh bergamo hmm. and it, it's just a it's a lot more wild sections of tuscany and um you, just trying to find a place outside of the city, right. basically, you know? Yeah. And with a little more nature. Uh, and, we, and for sure we have some friends that are interested in that. And like I, I'd like to start building acoustic guitars again. And uh, our friend, uh, Francesco, uh, is doing a lot of woodworking, you know? And I've been kind of like showing him things you know trying to like plant a seed in his mind about yeah building uh, acoustic guitars and stuff because he's he's definitely got some great skill uh and a lot of creativity with uh what he's doing you know uh, he's building more furniture and 
you know, practical things, but, but, you know, very creative looking furniture at the same time and using, uh, old, uh, you know, some old wood from old houses and things like that. Um, Italy's been in a financial crisis for years anyway. So there's actually outside of the big cities like Rome and Milano, there's actually a lot of old, uh, decadent, you know, villages that are just, uh, you know, falling, crumbling to the ground, you know? So there's a lot of, uh, opportunity, you know, be good to get out there and, 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 rebuild a little bit and, and, and maybe have a space where you're uh, not in such a densely populated kind of Yeah, area. exactly. Yeah. And, and also, you know, Adele, uh, last summer we were in Switzerland uh, with our friends because uh, I play a music with uh, a gal from Switzerland. Her name's Adaya and uh, I play electric guitar in her band and then uh, like we we had just like four months ago played a show in Zurich together where she backed me up with kind of psychedelic electric guitar and mandolin and I did my set. So we're, we're, we're constantly playing music together, you know, and, uh, uh, we're basically, you know, talking about, you know, taking these kind of elements anyways, these, uh, doing, just bringing everything together and, you know, what were you going to say something? <laughs> oh no, I was I was I, well I, I guess it's a good time for me to ask. You've you've been playing music live for most of your life at this point. I have to imagine that sort of being disconnected from that practice has uh I would imagine that feels pretty pretty bad generally. Yeah, I, yeah, it feels it, I think uh I've been especially thinking about it lately, uh, my connection to it. It's funny, too. Uh, I was kind of thinking about when I was a teenager, I didn't like live albums so much. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, kind of idolized these uh, uh, studio records, you know, uh, can be anything, acoustic music, Neil Young or jimmy hendrix uh, electric ladyland or something you know yeah and uh i just idolized those kind of sounds and they inspired me but the older i've gotten the more i and the more i've been involved with uh you know playing music as a solo artist but also as a backing musician for adaya for example um I just love the experience and the exchange of playing music in a in a room with with people, right. you know. And a lot of what I do also is really inspired in in that moment, you know. And there's there's a great degree of, uh, of improvisation. And so, you know, I mean, when you when you think about recordings, of course, even like what I do on record, a lot of it's improvised. Okay, but it's fixed. Once it's there, it's there. It's a studio recording. But that experience of traveling and playing one show to the next, things are going to change. Energy in the room is going to be different. Uh, sometimes you might be more nervous as a performer. Sometimes you feel more confident. You know, there's just uh, it's really such a unique experience playing live. You yeah. know, yeah. Then, I don't think there's any level of it that can be replaced by 
the computer or handheld devices or whatever, you know? Sure. Sure. So, so what, what, so you've got a beautiful new record that people can listen to now. It's, it's out on Bandcamp and it's streaming. No love is sorrow. What are, what are the challenges of releasing an album at this, at this time? I mean, I'm sure it was all in the works. Did you just decide to yourself, I should just put this out now. You know, people might get something out of it. What was the decision-making process? Well, there were <clears throat> there were a couple um, things that started to worry me uh, when I started realizing that um, that this pandemic was actually becoming. You know, there were other areas like the United States being affected. That it was gonna. It was already crazy that it jumped from China all of a sudden to my area in Europe. Right. You know, but then to start to see it kind of like building up in other areas, then it was kind of like, wait, this is like a 1918 level, yeah. you know, pandemic. Uh, we've, we've had this before. I mean, uh, and, and I've been in, in that mindset with everybody else being in America, you know, like when uh, the bird flu or the, the the different kinds of pandemics that happened years ago in the U.S. You know, we, I think uh, Americans were always kind of like, uh, how do you say, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, like protected somehow. Like, Cavalier, uh, almost. It was a, always like, yeah, yeah, like you're thinking about it. Oh, it's somewhere else. It's yeah, it's uh, not going to affect us, you know. But then, uh, you know, it's such a different reality now, especially with me being here. And then I started, you know, a lot of friends were contacting me from England and in the United States and asking me questions. And I said, I think this, you know, is going to be different because the how quickly this thing spreads is, is scary, you know. So anyways, back to back to the album when I started thinking about that, I was, I had already been kind of like projecting that I would release it in the autumn of this year. And, uh, actually I had hopes that it would be released in, uh, autumn of last year. And, uh, ESP disc, my label, um, they had been just too inundated with everything they had going on. So we decided to, that it was best to wait. And then a lot of things happened even before the uh, quarantine or the lockdown. Uh, Like my grandmother died in in February and uh, I suddenly, um, I was grieving and I, I, this music came together really fast and I, so I was kind of like, uh, so my grandmother died in February. And so I have a, a short instrumental on the record called Marie that's dedicated to her. And then, um, I don't know. That's that song came from more of a visual reference. I was thinking about her and thinking about these, uh, these birds flying away you know Mm. there's these little like hammer and pull off sections uh in that piece that remind me of these and also my my dad told me this story that when my grandmother died uh 
there was some there were these doves outside the window and they flew away so i had the, all this you know visual reference so and then there was uh because Adele and I are having a, a child in August, uh, uh, I had this instrumental that was uh, kind of the sister song to Blue Raga. It's called Lucia. So that that song manifested itself right away. And also the same thing happened with Ghost on the Hill. Um, it just, all of a sudden, the, the song appeared in my mind and, it was written in like 10 minutes, you know, the chord progression. And yeah, that's I awesome. actually have a recording of the demo. So, so basically between January and February, I added three songs to the rec to the record in, you know, waiting for it, thinking about, Oh, I'm going to release this in, in August. And, uh, um, so, and then the pandemic happened and then I realized my God, I, I'm not going to be able to tour. What am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I have this huge panic, uh, you know, and for sure. I, I've talked with, uh, ESP disc even about releasing this fall and, and they're saying they're having complications with the thought of that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, or maybe I'm being hopeful that in the, in autumn there will be the possibility of smaller shows sure uh, uh for sure not you know festivals uh, anything on a big level but uh honestly i i don't know i don't know what to do i don't know what i'm gonna do if that's not possible right um i i'm kind of like trying to plan for that but at the same time it's like what what can you do like for every all of us out there that are freelancers not not even just musicians anybody that's doing freelance work like you know yeah oh yeah it's impossible <laughs> it's impossible to plan right now so you so you figured in this case just get the album out so that people could at least listen to it right now yeah you know and not not sound morbid but uh i'm I'm not 20 years old, you know. <laughs> sure. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of very in the scary range for like, I don't know. My friend, I know uh, my friend from Philly. His brother was uh, just passed away. He was 50, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I like for sure. I put almost two years of, uh, well, a year. No. I started this album uh, in December of 2018, mm. so I just finished it up. So okay, uh, just over a year, but uh, I I just kind of like was struggling and like putting all my energy out because I didn't want to leave something unfinished. Sure. Worst worst case scenario, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I don't I don't I'm not afraid, you know, per se, but I there is uh I do always feel this kind of urgency, especially when I'm creating art or an album to when you reach that point where you really need need it to get out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, 
Well, I'm- so yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a horrible time, but maybe not. I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I I really like uh, Laura Marling's music, and I just saw she did uh, she released her album really early, and then I just watched a, a, a like a tiny desk concert of her. Um, and it's, uh, I guess she felt like she was put in the same position where, you know, she had to, she had to get the album out now and, and not wait. So yeah, there, I'm well, since we don't, don't we don't know what to wait for or when, when, you know, there's, there's no guarantee the waiting will result in anything. So I'm glad you put it out. It's, it's a really comforting record in a lot of ways. There are certain songs, you know. Deep in the loving arms of my babe, that there's like a there's a haunting quality to to your music, but there is a there is a comforting quality as well. So I'm glad you put it out there. Does it feel you know for you like um, do you do you feel like I I read in the the the, the Pitchfork interview that you did with with Andy Cush uh, that you you know that when you're in a sort of a depressed state the songs don't come. Um, so I, 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 feel, oh, yeah. I yeah. feel like in a weird way, um, the energy of this record is, is very comforting. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. Cause, uh, I cannot write or play music when I, I feel horrible. I just can't, I've never been able to do it when I'm, when I feel good, when I feel inspired, when I actually am able to walk, it doesn't matter if it's in the city or out in nature somewhere. I when the blood starts flowing, like I get very inspired, you know, and uh, and when I'm I'm feeling really down or depressed or sad or if I'm sick, it, nothing comes, you know, and uh, maybe in a sense, like uh, I've always liked uh, blue blue music or or sad songs anyway even you know as a fan of music you know or i mean think about something like as as popular as uh pink floyd think about the wall or dark side of the moon i mean that stuff's all like really heavy vibes <laughs> yeah it's absolutely. not fun uh, yeah i mean uh so yeah i mean and Ages ago, before I really started, uh, you know, I don't know, making music where I felt like it, it it started to be my own voice, I was doing a lot of, I played a lot of blues, you know? Uh, I played professionally. I played blues in uh, the Virginia area and Tidewater and wherever else, you know? Um and so I always had a deep connection to all this kind of uh, music anyways, uh, you know, kind of sad music. I don't know. Sure, sure. Do you- um, but, I, you know, one of my favorite uh, happy songs is uh, this uh, uh, Allman Brothers song on uh, the Eat a Peach record. You know that song, Blue Sky? I think it's. I'm not sure if I know the song Blue Sky, but I will look it up after this podcast for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something about the interplay between Dickie Betts and, and Dwayne Allman. Like, wow, that really makes me feel like happy and it's kind of an uplifting song. Uh, you know, even, I don't know, their improvisations kind of have this really light feel about it. Beautiful harmonies. Yeah, I would, I would totally, uh, recommend checking that out. (laughs) Your, your last proper solo record, um, is it morning haikus and, uh, is it afternoon ragas or evening ragas? I don't don't know. Afternoon ragas. Afternoon ragas. So that last record, um, it it was really beautiful. And one of the things that I thought was funny about it was in some ways, it feels almost more like the the quarantine record in a way, because it is so centered on being home, you know, and sort of the life that you've built uh, with your family there. Um, So I thought a lot about that. And I thought about how how the two albums sort of work together in a, in a weird way. There's this sense, and you've already alluded to it when you're talking about um, that you wrote a song for for your unborn child and that you wrote a song for your, your grandmother who passed away. It, it feels like family is a pretty big uh, theme in, in your, your recent work. Has that, I mean, has that emerged more or less unconsciously or is it sort of a thought that you've had that that's something you you do want to focus on thematically i for sure it's not something i i thought about it's just something that was so like driven or heartfelt you know that that's that's how the the songs arrived you know on on morning haikus uh summer street for instance the instrumental that's about uh, the the street where my two kids uh, in Maine uh, grew up and the house we lived at, uh, Ghost on the Hill, is actually largely about that house and kind of memories on that. So, yeah, I mean, those two albums are very uh, connected in, in that regard. Uh, you know, a lot of, well, the whole album of Morning Haikus was recorded when... Uh, when our son was just born, when Francesco was just born, so there was a lot of downtime with Adele, you know, sleeping with the baby, and um, so yeah, a lot of that music was made in in during that time. Um, of course, uh, um, I wasn't in that particular period touring touring around because uh, I was trying to be at home as much as possible to help her. Um, but yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is, I don't know if you, did you see the video for ghost on the hill? I don't think I've seen the video. Is that, that's on, is that up on, on YouTube? Yeah, just, it just got, um, put up in, in folk radio UK, uh, shared or like premiered it. Mm. And my my daughter Shyla made that. I I contacted her when the song when I first finished the song and uh, well I contacted her mom too uh, uh, Shanti from Arboria and I was thinking about Shanti's photographs and and then Shanti said Hey Shyla's doing a, a lot of uh, she's doing video making she's got she's taking video in in school. 
you know, why don't, why don't we get her involved? And so I started talking to her and, um, started talking, you know, I, I shared the song with her so she could get the mood or the atmosphere of the song in her mind. And, uh, yeah, she, she just finished it like two weeks ago and we just released it. But wow. I mean, such a, a joy to, to work with, with, uh, your kids, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're going to be producing an album of electronic, uh, uh, experimentations <laughs> yeah. by your son. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's he's uh, it could be everything because he grabs the electric guitar. He he'll suddenly like we have piano in the house, so he just constantly pulls himself up and starts like. Uh, sometimes it sounds really amazing <laughs> what he does. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, uh-huh. I want to ask you a, a, a quick question about your, your work sort of uh, as an archivist, because a couple of years ago, you put out an incredible uh, Robbie Basho uh, archival release. How did you get, how did you get hooked up with the Basho camp? Uh, you mean as far as like, how did I originally get to listen? Or how, how did you originally well, oh, I mean, I mean, how did how, I mean, how did you how did you end up kind of like coming across that particular tape and deciding to to release it on your label, Obsolete? Oh, okay, yeah. That, so the particular guy who owned uh, who owned the original recording to that, he um, he had already been to a, a concert. Uh, he, he's Italian, and he had already been to a concert of. Arborea's music uh, years ago because we we started touring in Italy in 2008 and then our last concerts were 2015 and uh, at one point in 2000 and he was already a fan of Robbie Basho as well and um, he he then came out to see me when I played in Rome and in 2016 as a solo artist and uh he pretty much uh knew about my connection you know through the through the tribute albums right because you, know? you you produced like some, some tributes to, to robbie basho as well yeah so he came out to one of my concerts and then we started talking and he said well i have some uh i have some music for you so it was kind of a, a gift, you know. Yeah. And uh, and uh, also, I actually have a tape, though it's not very usable. It's very very raw. And uh, but Basho during the tour that he played same tour as uh, when he played at Forli. Forli he played here in the Bergamo area. He played two shows. And uh, there was there's a guy that I know, a guitar player um, from Bergamo, who's come out to see me play in various places, and he gave me a cassette of Basho playing live from one of those concerts here, and it's uh, it's amazing to hear, and it's I'm so grateful for having this tape. But as far as making it into a releasable archive recording. It's, uh, I don't think it's possible because there's literally a point after like a song or two where suddenly like the mic must have shifted 
away from his guitar. Yeah. And it's just not, you know what I mean? It sounds like he's a million miles away. But but you as, but you but you as a fan you, you like you still you still got something out of listening to it though regardless. Yeah, for sure. And I had I I took it to a friend who uh, has a nice studio, and and we we kind of uh, did the best we could do to kind of master it to bring up the level. But it's still not like uh, you know the entire concert of For Lee. Um, yeah unfortunately yeah um do you generally do you, do you generally make it a point to to record all of your shows i will you know i wish i i wish i did but i really haven't i've i've recorded some various things you know when i've been in uh old churches somewhere or like old roman structures where all kind of i i did buy um um a Let's see. I did buy this like mini recorder, uh, uh, Zoom, that I can take around with me, uh, thinking that the next tour that I, I do in Italy, when I go, when I'm fully able to go around the country, I'll find some very special uh, places to record. Um, because I've always. I think most of my recordings, anyways, are more or less uh, field recordings. Right. Even though, even the, if you look at Arborea's work, is is kind of more or less, uh, you know, put up the mic and just record in the room. It's not. It's never been like going into a professional studio. Uh, it's more about the mic placement, having a good mic. Uh, um, I've had a lot of. Um, kind of like mentors in that regard, you know. Um, Malcolm Byrne, who's a uh, uh, protege of uh, Daniel Lenoir, is uh, a friend of mine, and, and I've always uh, loved their their you know recordings and in the way they their way they they think about recording music is so vastly different, you know. Yeah, um, using the reverb from the natural spaces. Um, these are things that interest me. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I just love that kind of uh, um, so out of the box and so in the moment, where you have all these beautiful artifacts going on in the background. You know, and uh, just finding unique spaces with beautiful reverb that can't be reproduced anywhere else in the world, you know? Right, right. Um, this is the kind of, you know, thing that I've kind of more or less dedicated my my life to uh, with recording. I, I, could, I can tell you that I, I could definitely use better equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've always uh, worked with very, uh, you know, basic equipment. I've never had the luxury of having very expensive tools and things. So, well, the record, the just, record, the record sounds great. It doesn't sound, uh, it doesn't sound lacking in the technology department. That's good. <laughs> it's. Uh, I do have this uh, mic that I've been using now for seven or eight years, and I really love it. But 
I, I would love to get a new mic, and I've been kind of like researching uh, if, if I can get some extra money, what mic that would be. Uh, I was, uh, I just played uh, shows in England and Ireland in November, and I ended up playing in this show in Bristol, and I met this guy who runs a studio in Bristol. And he invited me to go record, and he's got these beautiful Neumann German old mics, and my God, <laughs> you know, reel to reel, and yeah, and I would love to actually go back, and we've been talking about recording again. If things improve, I will definitely go back and uh record more with him i think we recorded six songs like just live in the room using that old equipment and i was very special i was very fortunate to get to do that you know yeah well maybe something will come of that i i um one of my favorite things about corresponding with you online is is how often you'll share recommendations or things that you're listening to or watching or poetry you're reading uh, I, I wonder, as you've been locked down, what what have you been uh, listening to, and what have you been what have you been watching? Or um, well, I it's funny. I I haven't listened to so much music throughout you know up to this uh, time period until actually the within the last week, and then I started suddenly listening to older music that I hadn't listened to before. Um, I started listening to Mike Stern, who I haven't heard in a long time, the great guitar player who played with uh, Miles Davis in the 80s. And uh, I even uh, posted like an 80s performance of Miles Davis and Mike Stern together in Germany or somewhere uh, on Twitter, like a video. It's an amazing performance, actually. Um, some classical music, uh, a lot of different things. Uh, um, even some old Jeff Beck uh, on some contemporary stuff. But uh, by the way, all your uh, you've been taking photos of uh, books that you've been reading or poetry. Uh, yeah, I mean, my my thing is I'll just go through my library and just like leaf through stuff and and just like yeah, I'll post like a, a poem or a paragraph or a comic book panel or something. Um, they're not That's all great. That's great, though. They're I not, think it's great. Thank you. Yeah, they're not all actively things I'm reading, you know. Like, but uh, yeah, but they're stuff I've read or stuff I've been meaning to read, and it gives me a, a ex- I I told myself that I was going to start doing it, you know, each day I was quarantined, and and I think I thought, I don't know, because like you said, that maybe American. Uh, uh, hesitance to accept the world around you. I, I think I thought this will be fun to do for the, the two or three weeks that I'm quarantined. And now I'm getting to the point where it's like, Oh boy, uh, I'm going to have to keep this practice up. Um, but it's, 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 I think that there's something about that. That's kind of, uh, it's, it's pleasant for me at least. So. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've, I've, I've read some or discovered stuff that I'd, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise discovered. So yeah, I, I love, I love, I really love poetry, um, a lot, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. And I, I, I think also, you know, 
um, as a songwriter that my songs are uh, closer to poetry than traditional pop lyrics let's say you know sure and um, and ly- lyrically yeah. it seems like I, I the especially on on no love is sorrow you get the sense that those songs were uh, the ly- that lyrically they could they could work on the page you know or may and maybe that's even where they originated you know you know um the one song that was the oldest uh, that started out is a poem uh, was the song uh, is is the song one evening from the record and I actually started that as a poem in 2016 mm. and it came from an event when because it, it starts out with the line uh, um, the moon's hanging outside, you know, our window, whispers sweet nothings to my ears. And outside in the distance, a dark storm's churning, but it's not the flashing lightning I, I fear, you know? Yeah. So uh, that was actually happening because there was, uh, the moon was up, but yet there was a lightning storm, you know, in a, a dark sky in the, in the distance. And at the same time, I was thinking about, uh, you know, our, our, the guys uh, in charge of our uh, the United States right now <laughs> and uh, coming into power. And I was really kind of like afraid for the future, you know, and uh, that was also during the time period uh, with um, Standing Rock. And I'd, I'd written a. Uh, you know, a song about Standing Rock and released a EP based around that. So, uh, and I was also thinking about technology and kind of like scary aspects of technology. And, and so all the lyrics in one evening and also Francesco hadn't been born yet. So there's lines in there about him, you know, um, a babe grows inside her warm belly, you know, his heart beats like a small freight train there, you know, and she loves her unborn son like no other as he floats in her womb with no name, you know? So it's a very heavy song and it's very poetic, but I wanted to make that into a song and it was, it took me a while to figure out how to do it, you know? And, uh, when I got the basic part of it and I, it started to come together like simultaneously. Uh, so we're talking like two years later, I had, I kind of like somehow never listened to, um, um, Bob Dylan's song. Hey mom. Uh, it's, or oh, it's, it's all right. right mom only. only. Yeah. yeah. I always screw up the title of that, but um, the, I watched that video of him performing it, and uh, that kind of like really uh, reinforced the idea that I needed to uh, develop that song. Yeah, you know, in a in a more succinct way. The only the only difference is like now, like for the last year and a half, I've been playing it acoustically. It, and I play it in a dadgad, like open tuning. It it really sounds nice and full, and it, it it has this modal thing about it, you know. 
um, almost like an Appalachian driving feel. Yeah. And I, I really love playing it live, but I really wanted to do something different with the, the recording. So I, I started layering these kind of psychedelic electric guitar, you know, elements into it. But I, I want to figure out how to record it just stripped down. Yeah. And what actually I did, I did in Bristol. I don't, it, you know, it's to be determined if I'm going to release that version, but, um, I want to, uh, you know, also present it in a very stripped down way, but, um, so yeah, I was just, my point going off on the, on that particular song was, yeah, it started out as a poem, you yeah. know, yeah. and it developed in, in, in ways. And I think that songs probably, a lot of people will probably overlook that song and it, especially also cause it's at the end of the album and there's already enough. Lots of information. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, that's the good thing about records like these is that they they um... improvise improvised. Uh... But but yeah. Anyways, like that's there's already so much to go through just at the beginning of the record, you know, with seven eight minute long instrumental. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I don't know. Somebody would really have to want to invest the time to even get to the end of the record to hear that poem, like because that's like very long as well. But um, oh, one one really quick thing you had, you had asked me, and we've talked about this before, uh, as far as being in lockdown and doing things. Um, so I have been listening to some music, yes, but in the evenings. Uh, before we go to bed, we've been watching Star Trek. Yeah, well, I've I've made no secret about how much I I, I watch Star Trek. But is this you're watching sort of you're watching the original series? We're watching the original series, and it took a couple episodes for Adele to get into it, but then she really started to like it, and and then of course you know she's. She's Italian, she's Latin, she's like, I want to see more action going on. Like, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> well, uh, I, no, more like hot-blooded action, if you know what I mean. Like, of sure. course, Captain Kirk has his fun, right? He's he's always, uh, we, we, we're we laughing a lot, but anyways, Adele's really like grown to appreciate Spock. Uh, yeah. Which is so funny, because she has no, like, I grew up with that, you know, the original series when I was super young, and you know, it's kind of like when you, especially when you see something when you're young like that, it, it's, I don't know, it has this comforting uh, feeling. I don't know. It's like, you know. Oh, yeah. You have this connection with this, these characters and stuff. And, and so at one point, though, I started, you know, because we're watching it on Netflix and they have all these other star trek uh offshoots you know from the original series and she said i i don't think i want to watch the other stuff i don't want to watch the contemporary stuff because i don't really like all the bombastic uh you know things with contemporary sure and i and i understood that but i started thinking about the enterprise uh series um from the mid 2000s yeah with uh, Captain Archer and T'Pol. And I 
was fascinated by that when it came out because I, as I do with a lot of things, I love the backstory, like the pre-story with the more with all the archaic things. You yeah, know, yeah, like the old archaic Enterprise and. And so we watched a couple of episodes, and then Adele started to appreciate that as well. Well, that's kind of uh, that's great to hear, and it's interesting because there there is something about I think all the series have their 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 uh, relative virtues, you know, and their merits. Um, yeah, exactly. But but it does. I I I have been watching a lot of the original series myself while I've been quarantined because one thing I appreciate about it, and then you know the next generation carries this on a little bit, is that you you get some just great stories, some self-contained stories that don't worry so much about the overall mythology of Star Trek with the original series. You just get right. You get great science fiction writers who just get to to write a teleplay, you know, and they sub in Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all the the familiar cast. But you just get great writing that almost, you know, in another world, some of those episodes could be Twilight Zone episodes or something like that, you know. But yeah, um, yeah exactly. But then you get the added warmth of those characters, which I do find immensely comforting. So I'm glad you guys are enjoying it, and and maybe maybe you'll you've you've convinced me to give Enterprise more of a shot because that's actually one series that I have never I've tried and have, uh. ne- have I've never quite made my way in on that one. They they made a lot of episodes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But um, the character development, um, they, de- they really develop the characters, you know, as it goes on. It's, it, I, I can imagine some people would say, oh, it's too slow. But if you can just get into that thing, you know, it's just, it, you know, it's like that with so many things. It can be records. It can be books. It can be... You know, maybe um, I I started listening to Roy Buchanan recently, and I've been listening to him for like twenty five years, right, or more. And I never got into his stuff, and all of a sudden, I heard uh, the Messiah song, and uh, all of a sudden it clicked. It's like, and I have for sure heard that over and over. Every few years, and it, nothing, and then all of a sudden, I heard it now, and it all makes sense. So I think you know, with certain things, it just it just takes time. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, it just takes time for you know you to come to it, or I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it's nice to think that things. If you really love something, that things don't change. But for sure, I mean. Life is change, you know. Yeah, and and yeah. and you, everybody, we all change. Maybe not dramatically, but maybe in slow steps. And uh, you, you know, I think the longer that I'm alive on this planet, I'm just fully amazed at uh, discovery. You know. Yeah. And uh, of course, I told Adele. I, I said in a in a really interesting way. I said. Uh, uh, if it were possible, I would probably sign up for Starfleet right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, man. 
I'm, re- I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm ready for that uh, to go. She's yeah. like, oh, but what about Francesco? What about? <laughs> oh, uh, one other quick side thing about that is so Francesco really loves uh, the original Star Trek. Yeah, and he's not even three yet, and he already knows. He already knows the characters. The other day, he specifically requested that as opposed to the other uh, series. There the you go. Series. The kids and are all right. When it comes, you know the introduction theme. Yeah. With the when the it's almost like an operatic singer. Uh huh. The woman. He he can sing that line. Those lines. That's awesome. <laughs> it's so funny. If you, yeah, it's totally awesome. Well, if you if you if you get uh, if you get bored, um, I guess one of my favorite Star Trek backstories is that Gene Roddenberry. Um, he wrote lyrics to the Star Trek theme so that he could collect publishing on music and lyrics. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, and there, of course, they never used the lyrics. He just had them, you know, so that he could he could get, I guess, publishing rights on them. But they're they're pretty goofy. But if you get bored, you you can teach the teach the um, discarded lyrics to him, and he can he can sing along. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, Buck, that sounds like something I'll do. Buck, thanks so much for taking the time to to check in. Yeah, and, thanks, Jason. And I hope I hope you stay safe out there. Okay, and and uh, th- thanks for for putting this record out. It's it's like it's a great comfort. Thanks so much for listening, and glad we finally got to uh, talk. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It won't be the last with, time, I'm sure. And with luck, uh, for sure, I'm gonna. I still, you know, I almost. Uh, played through phoenix uh two years ago and that got all screwed up so hopefully we can uh i can uh manage to reorganize some shows and we'll get to hang out in real time (laughs) well that sounds that sounds great i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend you too thanks so much buck we'll talk soon all right take care bye bye